2: Welcome into Wednesday, Hail Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal is in, and I'm gone for like two days. You you break the mic again. God love you. And what is this? Is this your defiance? Is this your protest to to the Von Miller news? You you shave your stash. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> I wish I was filming right now because. Elijah is he's going Griswold here and it's the scene from from Christmas vacation where Griswold's on the ladder and he's putting the lights up on the side of the gutter and he's he's putting the arm under and then over and then under and then over the ladder. And and that's what Elijah is trying to do right now with his microphone. He's trying to screw it in. He's working. Yes, he's 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 moving it with that left that right thumb and I think maybe he has he has it secure. Yes, he does. He has We're it back, secure. Baby. <laughs> a little high wire act there. Good to see you, man. Uh, you, you broke out the old BIC, the Mach Three. You're cleanly shaven. Uh, I I am. Yeah. So I, did you I lose I, a bed, or did someone just call the cops on you? Well, no. I
0: I, I had the mustache rocking for the uh, the fantasy football draft on Sunday night. And I, I asserted my did dominance over the Did you draft Gardner? I did not, thankfully. I, I don't want him on my team. <laughs> I don't trust that offense. But everyone walked in, and they saw the mustache, and they're like, wow, this dude's just got a kick-ass mustache. Like, mm. I stand no chance against him this year. It, it was the
2: intimidation you say, factor. Okay, you went, you went with the intimidation card.
0: Yeah, and, and as soon as the draft was over, I, I guess I had no need for it anymore. No,
2: you, you planned it out well. You let it go Chia Pet, and and then... It's time to, to move on from it. So we are loaded up. We will talk with a uh, Nebraska expert. Uh, we're talking four decades, Mike Babcock from Hale Varsity, with us in about 15 minutes. A little golf as Mike Schuhart uh, from Wilderness Ridge. Shuey will, will join us. There is no truth to the rumor that Shuey sent a decapitated putter to the commissioner or the, the Big Ten office in Rosemont, Illinois, trying to further this vote that we're all waiting on. Brad Edwards, uh, insider with ESPN College Football with us, and we'll dive into some NFL as well. Numbers to Gideon, 466 466 800 800-825-5865. You've probably seen on social media, the reports, the comments earlier from uh, University Systems President Ted Carter. And uh, that is, listen, the uh, competition committee is putting thing, and I'm paraphrasing, he's putting things together that competition task force plans in place to, to pass along to the presidents and chancellors so they can vote. And that vote could happen very soon. Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune. I always like when Northwestern comes to town. It's usually an overtime game, a thrilling finish. And Teddy's in the press box to say hi to. Our old friend Mike Riley uh, worked with and knows Teddy really well uh, from the Tribune days. So long and short of this is Teddy is saying maybe Saturday, maybe Sunday, maybe Monday for a vote so what are we voting on the important question asked by brandon vogel of Hale varsity who will be with us tomorrow well you're voting on return to play and you're voting on a date you need a yes from the stuff suits in the ivory towers excluding teddy carter and Ronnie Green, of course, and those at Ohio State and those at Iowa. They are off the persona non grata list, clearly, because they want to play football. They've always wanted to play football. It's the other 11 that need to turn into a a, a 9-to-5 vote to get back and say, yes, this is our date, this is when we can play. Are you going to get agreement on when that day is? And the answer is probably not. So you need a 60% per the bylaws. What can you get here by this weekend? Can you get rapid testing materials by the end of the month to every college campus? Can you get EKG machines to every college campus or at least somewhere you can do those tests if myocarditis is still, which it is, a, a topic of concern. Those are all things that need to happen. Hopefully that's why the Big Ten's been so silent except for a statement they released in response to uh, you know, state state lawmakers and political leaders as they came together. And we're talking from all sorts of Rust Belt states and upper Midwest states from Iowa to Pennsylvania to Wisconsin to Illinois to Minnesota on the Republican side of the aisle. They all put a letter out to the Big Ten. I'll read what the Big Ten said and responded with. Of course, you had 28 in Nebraska's unicameral uh, bipartisan uh put their words on paper and send a letter also to the Big Ten asking for reconsideration on the August 11th decision to suspend. So there is more mounting political pressure, this time at the state level. The president's already done his thing on Twitter the last couple of weeks. Where does this go? What push do you get? Is this uh, Reggie Bush helping out Matt Matt Leinart across the goal line? in South Bend back in 05 to get a date circled and movement forward. This is a concern. You've got Penn state right now, suspending athletic activity. You've had 48 student athletes test positive for COVID. Iowa just returned to practice today. Is Michigan state practicing? I don't know. Is Northwestern practicing is, I don't know who's practicing I don't know who's taking advantage of the 12 hours. I don't know the schedule. I know Nebraska's a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. They've been practicing. There's been no news of athletic uh, teams or players contracting COVID. Not that there hasn't been contractions, but there's not been a a, a – there's no information out that says, okay, Nebraska has had – uh, COVID cases spike up and the positivity rates gone up uh, because they've been away from football. We we don't have that. Well, see, look, we know what's going on. And you've got Greek members being put on double secret probation by the day. I, I get that because there's footage on social media of non-social distancing and non-masking. But what you're going to have a hard time with, Elijah, is you, you've got your folks that have got their poop in a group and they're practicing and their kids are staying away from uh, dicey areas where COVID may be wandering. And that could be anywhere, but we're talking off the court, off the field. That situation, are you going to a house party or you pull on a Rutgers? uh it seems like Nebraska's been very, very disciplined. It seems like Ohio State has been disciplined. Well, the minute you're not nose to the grindstone and, and working towards kickoff, I mean, some programs and some guys are going to go be college kids, and that's an issue because there's there's a higher likelihood if you're not practicing or working towards something, then you're going to kind of fall back into off-season mode or, or spring camp mode. You know, what's your discipline level like? And right now getting popped with 48 Penn State students and they did not specify what sport. But Penn State's pausing right now. Iowa's off of a pause. Nebraska seems all right. Ohio State seems good. But where is the rest of the league at? Who's practicing? The question that needs answered is who is ready to go October 10th? And when this vote... Hopefully, happens this weekend. What president and chancellor and athletic director is going to come forward and say, "Yeah, you know, uh, we're really kind of hoping on this Thanksgiving thing. That's where we need to settle, because our guys and our team can't and won't be ready by October tenth. That's what I fear, and I fear this because you've got again Penn State's not being specific. It's not James Franklin's kids." Per se, that have forty-eight positive tests of COVID. It could be soccer. It could be field hockey. Whatever else is in fall. I don't know. Really, it's kind of football to me. <laughs> but that's an issue, and you don't have a level playing field for a an October tenth start right now. Uh, just because in some programs, Coach Barnett told us this last week. Some it's a quarter system. Some guys, if they're not, if it's just twelve hours a week, you're doing practice. Maybe some teams aren't even practicing. You know, is what we know Michigan's been practicing. We know Michigan's ready to go. You know, Ohio State's ready to go. You know, Nebraska's ready to go. But some programs aren't going to say, you know what, we're going to be ready to rock by October 10th. I think that could be a real issue. And quite honestly, if you can't play this fall, I want football. Some is better than none. I, I, I have doubled down on that. But it's just going to be a hollow season. We're going to get it. Great. We'll, we'll be able to enjoy it, hopefully, Thanksgiving. Or maybe they do this stupid January thing, which is just idiotic. But if you can't go October 10th, I don't know that I'd go at all. And that sounds pretty pretty harsh. Uh, but if, if I if I'm Ohio State, what, what team am I going to be able to field, pun intended, uh, in January? Or even, am I going to be able to do enough Thanksgiving to college football playoff selection time, December 20th, to convince the, the committee, hey, we're a, we're a 6-0 and Ohio State team that is ready to roll. We're a loaded football team. We want Clemson. We want Bama. Give us Notre Dame. Because that's, that's where I'm at. If you're going to do this here, allow Ohio State a chance to compete, and to do that, they've got to start October 10th, maybe at the latest, and you shave a game off the schedule, October 17th. I still hope that is in discussion when they talk about things this weekend, but based on what's happened at Penn State, based on what's going on with COVID tests and some teams having to hit pause because of discipline, and we don't know if kids got this because the chancellors and presidents have kept classes open where somebody's come to a classroom and has had COVID, you know, that almighty tuition check and that almighty uh, dorm check for room and board. There's, you know, there's, there's a hell of a lot more students than student athletes on campus. That's going to pay the bills and those have been kept open. So I don't know what we're going to see or hear this weekend other than for the first time, I mean, I have I have had the utmost optimism for October 10th. I don't know based on this, based on the recency of this Penn State thing and the fact that other schools may not be ready to go by October 10th, I think that's going to slam the brakes on the teams that have done their job and and stayed disciplined. I've used that term a lot but they've stayed away from getting in contact with somebody who could infect them. And Push comes to shove, you're going to have more teams that aren't going to be ready to go. And I think that's going to be heard this weekend. Hope I'm wrong.
0: It it sounds backwards, but I think the the fastest way to stop the transmission among all these athletes is to bring back football. I'm going back to the the old saying I heard as a kid, uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop. And I'm not saying that catching COVID is the devil's work. I'm not going to say that, but... I will say that if you're sitting there with nothing to do, you're more likely to go out and be in a social situation where you can catch COVID. If you're going and lifting at 6 a.m., you got breakfast, then you got practice.
2: You don't have time to jack around. You
0: don't have to. Yeah, no, you don't. If if your (laughs) full day is consumed by football, the evening you're watching film instead of going out and partying, your chances of catching COVID are diminished. So when we're seeing almost 50 positive tests at Penn State, I think it would have been a lot less if the Big Ten had never canceled.
2: Well, it would have been a lot less if they would have, would have not slapped restrictions on. Now, as a head coach and as a team, you can only do a walkthrough so often. You don't even have a green light to put pads on, for God's sake. Last time you put pads on was the end of the regular season last year, your bowl game. I'll say this. I think Nebraska has been fantastic with their directive. Do you guys want to play? Are you committed to play? Good. We're all on the same page. We all want to go play football. We all want to go play uh, meaningful snaps against the highest competition. We want to see if we're a better football program now than we were at the buzzer against Iowa that left us home for the holidays at 5 and 7. Guess what that's going to take? It's going to take commitment. And you're going to have to ask yourself, what's what's most important to you? Is it getting on the field and and putting a, a redemption type season together? Or is it more important to go check out the honeys or go out with your bros? And they're all great women and, and having a beer with your buddies are very important things. Yes but the here and now with this stupid pandemic what's important to you and it's important to stay away from areas that could get you in trouble with it like I'm sure the Rutgers house party at the shore was awesome and I know what happened later everyone's not feeling the best because of COVID Mike Babcock will weigh in. We'll talk some Husker ball with him. Great to be with you on a Wednesday. It's Hail Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now, and now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Brad Edwards coming up, and uh, Mike Schuhart from Hale, uh, from Wilderness Ridge will join us on Hale Varsity. Just got this email from Doug Duda, our friend out in Kearney, and uh, Hastings with uh, the Superstation ESPN 1460-1550, Kearney Hastings, Grand Island, this uh, a tough, tough story to tell you about, but it's Kearney High School, JV and varsity football teams are quarantined. Due to COVID-19, a student at the Kearney High School JV varsity football team is a confirmed case of COVID and was unmasked at times during practice at a, a JV game on Monday. Uh, was was uh, unmasked during uh, practice and at a jV game on Monday, September seventh Kearney Public Schools has consulted with the two rivers Public Health Department due to the periods of unmasked contact during football practice in the jV game all eleventh and twelfth grade football players and all students who ate lunch with the positive student students are required to quarantine for fourteen days, according to the Centers for Disease Control and students in close contact with the covid-19 person must quarantine a full 14 days regardless of whether of whether or not they've uh, been tested the team members can return to school only if their symptoms symptom-free by September 22nd so the following games are indefinitely postponed for carney Friday September 11th the varsity carney game at north plant Monday September 14th the JV game versus southeast and Friday, September eighteenth, Varsity versus Millard West. So Carney uh, JV and, and uh, Varsity football uh, quarantined.
0: I think the big question is going to be whether or not the the JV team they played on Monday has any positive test. That's that's how, that's how we're going to know.
2: Yeah, I'm, that's 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 the question. And thoughts to the uh, well, the parents and families and the kids that uh, that are playing ball there. I know it's not ideal and. That's an understatement, and hope everyone's healthy and safe moving forward, and the the, the player that, that did have COVID makes full recovery. Bring on Mike Babcock from com and Magazine at MDBabs on Twitter. Babbers, uh, we, we're still in this holding pattern, this waiting game. The, uh, the Big Ten has responded to several uh, top uh, state government uh, officials uh, and uh, speakers and legislatures that – that uh, put a a open letter out to the the Big Ten office yesterday. I know the Unicameral did that today. Uh, Are you optimistic uh, about maybe some, I don't want to say closure, but at least uh, an answer, an update this weekend? Do you think a vote can actually happen this weekend?
3: Um, Well, it seems like there's um, some indication that there would be a vote, but... um at the earliest mm-hmm. but i just don't think it's going to it's going to change from what it was you know the 11 to 3 thing i don't think that it's going to change significantly from that because the passionate ones are still the passionate ones and the and the passionate ones are the are the ones that are you know trying to do the right things and preparing and mm-hmm. and so forth and as you talked earlier you don't know uh, where a lot of these programs are in terms of being ready to do something, um, if they were to say that uh, in, in your best-case scenario, October 10th or 17th or whatever, right, I just don't think that that's going to get overturned. Um, and, again, we see it through the lens of, of the passion that Nebraska has shown about it, and, uh, you know, it goes beyond the football program. Uh, obviously, uh, that's pretty dramatic, but then um, we hear from Doug Duda and we hear what happened with uh, Kearney High School and, and uh, you know, it it is such a difficult thing to say what is right to do and what would happen if you went ahead now. Um, Still, we still we we just don't know, and and that's why I think that uncertainty is going to carry over, and we're going to see the basically the same thing that happened already um, going back. You know that uh, I'm I, I'm not optimistic about what's going to happen, but but uh, I've been wrong enough times in my life to to I guess say that you can have some hope uh, about it, but. Uh, I, I just don't see that uh, that enough people are going to be persuaded to go the other direction.
2: I, it's hard to get that number up to nine, to to get that sixty percent the the other way. Uh, we talked earlier about Penn State suspending activities. They didn't specify if it was football or, or what what sport. But forty eight's a number. Um, you know what do you? What do you tell your kids in Columbus in Lincoln? If all right, this is what we got. It's going to be Thanksgiving. You have no shot of playing for anything mean and meaningful except for pride and to get better. That in itself is important. And Nebraska is in a rebuild development phase. You know, we were expecting some some good things this fall for Nebraska. You had an offensive line that was going to be. Pretty veteran. You had a quarterback that was uh, getting pushed. You had some some toys on the outside to play with. You had a run game, and we were excited to see what what type of improvement the defense could make. All that can still happen. You just can't play for anything beyond a conference title, or maybe maybe a a, a Rose Bowl. But you're not part of the bigger picture. While we don't know how many Big Ten teams would have challenged for that aside from from Ohio State or a Penn State. Everyone else is kinda in that that uh that, that runner up mode. I hate to term it like that, but you know, your two favorites and so in Wisconsin as well. you you're really gonna be pigeon hold as uh, an empty season because you're not playing for a championship, although there are things that you can do to get better. I, I don't know how you sell that as a, as a head coach to, to your kids, and, and you keep kids from, from not either opting out or, if you're Ohio State's case, just going to the draft.
3: Well, that, that's the thing. That's the tough, tough responsibility for the coaches. And, and yeah, you, you've got the NFL draft. There, there are so many implications by starting this thing late. And and you know, I, again, I, I go back. I, I just I don't see the feasibility of of a, of a spring season um, and then turn right around and and play try to play in the fall. And I just to me it 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 boggles the mind. Maybe maybe you could do that with volleyball, mm-hmm. and maybe you could do that with soccer, but with football. I just don't think you could do it. And if you're talking about the health and safety of the student-athlete as it relates to football, as to why you're not playing this fall, why would you put their health and safety uh, at risk by playing two seasons in the same calendar year. I don't that doesn't make any sense to me.
2: Health and safety go out the window and you got to fulfill your TV contract obligations, babbers.
3: Yeah, well, I know and at that point you'd say, "Well, then you should have just played in the fall." I guess. <laughs> no. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to put it that as the reason to play in the spring, but well, it wasn't the reason to play in won't. the fall. <laughs> um, that, that that you're being inconsistent, I think. Mm. So, to me, the reason says to me, and, and, and maybe I'm not being reasonable here, is you either play in, in the fall now or you don't play until the fall of 2021. And, and I know, I know the, the economic impact that that has, but um, if we're talking health and safety of the student athlete as it relates to football, um, I think that's what you have to do.
2: Mike Babcock's with us on Hale Varsity. Babbers, uh, you look at some of the, the earnings that, that Nebraska has uh, attributed to it, and specifically the earnings uh, with Nebraska in reference to other programs. I want to go here and get off of will they or won't they play, and I want to go back to uh, brand value. Uh, of course, Nebraska's done a great job. We all saw the Wandale-Robinson uh, video and tweet that that's gotten a lot of, of views but nebraska ranks number one in brand value and that's pretty impressive it just in front of bama just in front of uh, ohio state just in front of uh, michigan just to name a few and just in front of oklahoma what do you think that that means long term from a from a pitch standpoint on the recruiting trail?
3: I think, from a recruiting standpoint, it's really it, you know it's really a positive. I mean, that, that's what you want to do if, if you want to turn this into something that you can use. That's a positive in recruiting, um, and, and I'm you know I've always been in favor of the uh, you know whatever benefits the student athlete. I'm I'm in favor of that, um, but as I as I responded in the mailbag today, the, the, this whole thing about um, you know profiting from your image and, uh, you know, whatever um, opens up a whole set of questions that, I, that, that I'm not smart enough to answer, and I think that they're going to have to be answered at some point, and that is, um, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit more of a benefit, I think, for, and uh, I use quotes, skill position players to, to uh, take advantage of that in football, than it is for for non skill position players. And and how does that how would that impact at all um, team unity in any way, shape, or form? Because if you've got somebody that's really generating a lot of revenue off that, uh, playing alongside somebody who's just getting by with a with a scholarship, um, how is that gonna affect things?
2: Better feed the alignment babbers.
3: Yeah, yeah, you better. You know that's true. um but um and 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 so the student athletes they can have agents and um if they have agents how is that going to impact things because then who is the responsibility to um the agent to the coach to how how do you how do you it almost becomes like a professional situation in in some ways, and how do you deal with that and i'm i'm probably exaggerating to make a point but Mm -hmm. but i think it's that these questions are things that are going to have to be answered so you know as as we move forward I don't think we know what the answers are because we've never this is uncharted uh, water Mike but, uh, yeah
0: go ahead say, Mike we've got about i don't know 15 seconds here so you going to be quick okay but when we're looking at brand value the past month has that brand value Nebraska gone up I mean if it wasn't for Nebraska I don't even know if we'd be talking about an October 10th or an October 17th start date.
4: Well, I hope
3: it has. I hope it has. You know, initially, it was Nebraska was getting hammered, and I think and now it's gone up because other, other schools have come on board with it. But uh, Nebraska's had that passion from the beginning.
2: Babbers, too short. We'll do this again next week, and hopefully we'll have some better news. Hey, be safe. You too, Babbers. Take care. Mike Babcock, historian, author, Hall of Famer. You read him with Hale Varsity. Shoey's up on the way. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. A little bit more clarity on this uh, vote that may or may not happen this week or next week. So we asked the question earlier, what are you voting on? And I went way cart before the horse. (laughs) I just assumed it's all part of the big pitch. But uh, the president's... Whenever this vote happens, won't be voting to overturn a decision. This is per Ralph Russo from the Associated Press. But they'll be voting on a new medical guidance and return to play plan. So here's the plan. Here's the rapid testing. Here's the the cardiogram. Here's all of that stuff. Here's where it's going to be. Here's when it's going to show up. And here's the target date to start, potentially. But you got those benchmarks and medical criteria, you got to hit. I need to find my way over to the uh, the Wilderness Ridge Bar and pour a stiff one as we wait, and I can watch Mike Shuart teach some lessons on uh, better ability off the tee box and how to sink some of those putts. Shuey joins us now from Wilderness Ridge. Shuey, you got the turtleneck on?
5: Uh, not quite. I do have the sweater on, though. Got to have that today.
2: So d- does this make you just go back to your... Your British Open memories. <laughs> oh, yeah.
5: I like this kind of weather, though. It's fun to play in this weather.
2: It's it's different. <laughs> give me give me this weekend, because we're going to have like mid-70s, right?
5: I know. It's going to be beautiful. And once we get through this, then the weather starts to warm back up. Sun comes out. So we needed this rain bad. We were pretty dry. So it's, this is good
2: thing. It's been hot and sticky, and now it's Cold and rainy. So, Shuey, before we dive into some uh, some Safeway open thoughts, give me your pitch. I'm giving you uh, the uh, the spokesperson job. You're the one making the argument to the chancellors and presidents whenever this vote is. Shuey, the floor is yours. Give him hell.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's like what makes no sense to me is that if you're going to allow your students on campus, you're going to allow high school to be played, um, intramurals to be played, um, all the things that are going on at your university, it makes no sense to me why you wouldn't have your football team playing. I mean, your football team has more guidelines available to them and that they're going through protocol-wise to keep them safe compared to your your college student that's on campus they have really none of that so it's like you're allowing them to do basically what the college student's going to do but not a football player I mean that
2: makes no sense to me great argument and their response would be well you know at Penn State we have 40,000 students that's two billion dollars we probably have shy of 400 student athletes and While one hundred and twenty million dollars isn't anything to sneeze at, two billion—that—that's—they won't say that, but there's their math equation.
5: Exactly. I mean, it's all money. I mean, it's all money. Why they have to do what they have to do from the from the student standpoint, and then from the athletic standpoint. So it's just—you can't. It's kind of like you're you're allowing them to do. You're saying one thing and doing another, Mm. and that's you got to be consistent on what it is and the message that you're sending.
2: Let's talk consistency here and give me kind of a rundown here on the Safeway Open. Uh, you've got some, some folks that are looking to kind of rebound or stay hot. Uh, tell me about the Silverado course in Napa. Is it uh, breathtaking?
5: Very much so. It's up in the wine country. It's beautiful up there. So... And you got guys, you know, you got some guys that are going to use it to get ready for the U.S. Open. Um, you got some guys that are going to use it to restart, like you said, you know, with the FedEx Cup being over. Now it's kind of starting the wraparound season. So most of them are going to use it to get ready for the U.S. Open.
2: Are you on Phil's wagon for this weekend?
5: No, <laughs> not at all.
2: He needs to
5: stick with the champions. Okay. You can- he can hammer those guys to death. So, I mean, he can still play, no question. I mean, it's not like what he did when he played his first champions event. I mean, those golf courses are not set up that much easier. You know, it's just that competition is a little bit different. But, and he's still got a little gas in the tank, but I don't see. He can't do it for four days. Too strong, too hard.
2: He's twenty to one. Uh, when you look at William Hill, the odds that opened up: Phils at twenty to one, Siwoo Wu Kim at twenty to one, and then Spieths at thirty to one. Sergio's at thirty to one. So that's uh, it's kind of where we're at. Who do you like right now? And uh, who who's maybe a dark horse? I mean, what are some guys that have impressed you here the last couple of weeks?
5: Oh, Scotty Scheffler. Okay. That's a guy I like a lot. He's had a really good season. Young guy, you know, starting to come. There's just a ton of those young guys. You know, Abraham Anser, I always talk about. He's another guy, you know, he started out really hot in the FedEx, couldn't quite hang in there. But another good player, you know, Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf, Marikawa, he's a household name now. Mm-hmm. But just the, the young guys are starting to creep up the board you know they're just starting to get you know comfortable out there and uh, they can play so you're starting to see the young young revolution start to take over the tour when you look at some cool. of
2: the, when you look at some of the younger guys shuey what what impresses you about about this this younger generation guys that are, that are kind of nipping at, at some of the the old guard heels what what's a what's a trait you like about the young the young golfer, that 20 to 25 year old range?
5: They're just fearless. I mean, they're just, they're, they're, so, they're so much more prepared as they come out there to be put on a big stage and not be influenced by that big stage. You know, so they're, they're very confident. Um, they're incredibly gifted and trained. You know, they're, they're just better, technically sound golfers you know and they're they're mentally more prepared i mean yet all those guys i talked about i mean they're they've won so much in college that they're they're not afraid of that big stage and that mm-hmm. big situation they get in there and they they perform really well you know so they don't they they've kind of surpassed a little bit or bypassed the experience element mm-hmm. you know because again they're so they're so much more ready when they get out there to be competitive and to be able to win so and they're so powerful I mean they're just super athletic and super powerful in what it is that they do.
0: Mike it seems like the Arnold Palmer award this year which is given to the the rookie of the year on the PGA Tour seems like it's two horse race between Victor Hovland and uh, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, Scotty Scheffler's got all those top five wins but then you got Hovland he's got the one win on the tour so who do you like with that award this year?
5: Yeah, I mean, winning is a is uh is a big plus. So because it's hard to win, don't care what level you're at, it's just hard to win a golf tournament, you know. So it's like winning has a little more of importance, you know. Scheffler's had a great season, consistency-wise, but so is Hovland, you know, and he has the win under his belt. So
2: uh, I would give the nod to him right now, um, but there's a lot of golf left to see. We, uh Got a fit Friday coming up. You have about 10 seconds.
5: Uh, no, we are actually started a couple of our uh, junior programs. So okay. we started a junior program. We're doing actually, right now, we're starting one. We call it Practice Like the Pros. So, and it's just every Wednesday. So we give the kids ideas of how we grew up practicing and mm-hmm. playing and giving them some things that they can take with them to continue their practice to get better at what they're doing. And then we have what called call boot camps that's for more adults. We take them through kind of a four-day session of golf. So this month's a lot of uh, player development, so it's going to be fun.
2: Chewy, we'll talk next week. Thanks for a few minutes today.
5: You bet. Thanks for having me.
1: And we're back. Fellas, did we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio,
2: presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Well, it's been a while. I don't know if he's been duct taped, muzzled, or just out of sight due to pure frustration. But P.J. Flack has spoken. So we were just talking about the fact that not every team's on the same page as Ohio State or Michigan or Nebraska when it comes to, to, to weekly practices. Right. We don't know if Sparty's been practicing. We know that Penn State has now paused because of COVID and Iowa returned to action yesterday uh, due to some COVID concerns. But you've had a two week break from things with Minnesota football and they just got back to light workouts today. So they've not even been practicing. Which is. There's not a lot you can do because of the no contact, but there are walkthroughs. There is keeping guys around, but guys are just getting back. So I don't know if Minnesota is going to be the next program to pause things because they're going to have a COVID outbreak athletically if there's been a break. So what were guys doing? What were athletic players doing uh, while they were away? (laughs) No idea. No idea. But there's three different plans per fleck. If we play in October, here's what we're going to do. If we play in November, here's that model. If we play in January, here's another model. So, again, with this potential weekend vote or week or vote next week, you've got to hit the health and safety benchmarks and then have a date circled. This is an interesting question from Heather Denich. We'll talk with Brad Edwards about that here in about 10 minutes. And uh, this this is interesting. So if you sync up, if if you circle Thanksgiving for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten to rejoin the world of football, would the college football playoff wait a week or two move back their December 20th announcement and say that is now a January 1st reveal and then you push things back a couple of weeks. Instead of the the championship game on January 11th, do you drop it in that that weekend there's no Super Bowl post-NFC-AFC championship? Could you align that way? And if you're the college football playoff, you can do whatever the heck you want. Now, if you're the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, that would be a pitch you'd make. If you're the SEC or the Big Twelve, you're the ACC. Uh, it is just more time between. You've got that rust versus rest thing.
0: I think there's a lot of problems with the
2: idea. Just oh, I, mean, I, I hear you at least. No, there, there's a... Yeah. <laughs> hey, you've been out in front. <laughs> you've been grinding. Don't forget about us. But having the college football playoff
0: championship game that week between the championship games and the Super Bowl, what a weekend that would be. Well, I mean, there's, you there's you never something. anything there.
2: No, You have the Pro Bowl, but no one watches that. Exactly. That could be a fun game. I'm just... Just saying... We'll get thoughts from Brad Edwards. We'll get his reaction. How would the ACC and the SEC take? Hey, wait for the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Back with you, Tower Two. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbel, and uh, it is Brad Edwards' time. ESPN Insider College Game Day. Brad, you gearing up, man? Some uh, some Power Five football this weekend. How you doing?
6: Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah, it'll it'll be a a nice uh, shift of gears upward to get some Power Five football. But I'm still not sure we're going to get any great football. I heard someone say yesterday that uh, of of all the ACC games, I'm not sure about the Big 12 games, that there's only one that has a point spread under 20, and that's the uh, <laughs> FSU-Georgia Tech game, which I think is still like 12-and-a-half. So um, I, I just hope we can get some good games because we certainly didn't get very many of those in Week 1.
2: We didn't, and I had to, to do a double-take because – BYU is going ground and pound. Uh, I'm used to seeing them throw 78 times uh, from being a a kid who watched football in the 80s to to now, and even then it was kind of a surprise to see BYU hand it off, uh, even when they had Taysom Hill running the round man. But yeah, I I hope we get some some tight games, but I think we'll have to to ease into that. I, I don't know that it'll be great. I want to ask you here, and and this was. And I know you filled in for Paul Feinbaum. This was uh, a question and an answer that was brought up with uh, with Heather Denich. and I want your take on this. Say the Big Ten and Pac-12 can hit their their medical benchmarks and say that I I, I have finally maybe locked the door on October 10th or even October 17th. I've been holding out hope for that, Brad. So I'm thinking yeah. maybe, maybe Thanksgiving. That said, if both Power Five conferences get back at it later this fall, would the college football playoff postpone a week or two, not only from an announcement but from scheduling, to include both conferences? Can, can the Pac-12 and Big Ten show a play to the party and still be part of the conversation?
6: Uh, I think those are two different – questions with two different answers. Um, I think the first one is that the, the playoff is not going to postpone. It's not going to push back a couple of weeks and wait on them. But the second one, I think the answer is yes, they could still be a part of it. And I think the key is if they were to announce, you know, sometime within the next week or two that they're going to play and they're going to start at some point in October at that stage, I, I think that, that everyone will be waiting uh, for a statement by the, the playoff and the selection committee uh, saying that they either will or won't consider them for the playoff. And I, I don't know why they wouldn't, to tell you the truth. Now, I realize that by the time that the final uh, rankings would come out, they would have played fewer games than everyone else, but but... You know, n- n- the teams never have the same number of games. You know, I mean, sure, most of the time that the, the four they choose have played 13 games, but there there have been a couple times that a team had 12 games. Obviously, the t- Notre Dame made it in; they had 12. I mean, some of the, the times before the Big 12, you know, restarted the conference championship game, they had 12. And so, would it make a huge difference if you know maybe one team had played 11 and someone else had played eight? I I don't know. I don't I don't to me it still comes down to the selection committee's job, their, their stated goal, is to pick the four best teams. And if all these teams are playing and if there's enough of a body of work by any team that's played fewer games to still convince the selection committee that they're one of the four best teams, then I think the committee's job is to put them in. And so, to me, I, I would be fascinated to see if that were to happen in the, in the Big let Let's just use the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. If they were to say, we're going to start in October, would they adjust the schedule in order to front load it for the teams that they think have the, the, the most playoff potential to give them a chance before, I believe, December 19th is the targeted mm-hmm. conference championship Saturday for the, for the three that are, that are starting in September? Um, would they front-load the schedule so that by that Saturday they would have had a chance to play enough quality opponents uh, to impress the selection committee despite having fewer games overall? And I think if they do that, the committee should take them.
2: Brad Edwards with us, ESPN Insider College Game Day, at JBradEdwards on Twitter. Brad, uh, as we shift gears, and Ohio State's kind of a known quantity – Penn State, we'll see what they are when we play. I know they've paused workouts today. You had 48 student athletes test positive for COVID. The Big Ten's not on even footing. Uh, Minnesota's just getting back to practice today after a two-week hiatus. Not COVID-related. Iowa just resumed action Tuesday. I don't know if Sparty's practicing. I know Harbaugh and Michigan have been practicing, as has Ohio State, as has Nebraska. So you've got a bunch of schools that that are uneven and I think that that's going to be a problem for this this hopeful October start date. Uh, as we look forward to the ACC and the SEC in in your opinion and in your research or what do you know what programs have dealt with this uncertainty the best? What programs have been able to stay disciplined and and really give themselves a chance here once we do kick off next weekend and in the following weeks. Who who do you think's ready to go for 2020?
6: Well, and, and I guess there are, there there are a number of ways to approach that. One is simply from the test results, and um, you know we we all know of some schools that have had reports that things aren't going well, um, and, and certainly those would be disqualified. But I think. You know, the others would be, uh, or I should say among the ones that have not had major outbreaks of cases on their roster, uh, you'd have to ask additional questions like how well have they prepared? Um, you know, as far as are, are, are the coaches uh, coordinated and have the right plan in place to do everything uh, to, to get the players as ready as possible for the first game? And And one example I'll use here is Navy you know, Navy had, as far as I'm aware, the same amount of time to get ready as BYU. Um, But they chose a different approach, which was to avoid, you know, contact and practice. There was no live tackling. And and while that doesn't explain why the Navy offense got completely shut down, or maybe it it does in a small way, uh, but it certainly explains why their defense struggled the way that it did. And and so I I think there, it's just the same thing as like, bowl prep like there are a lot of different ways to go around preparing for a game when you've had extended time off and i think the same thing would apply to this situation and and even more so with with the number of other dynamics that are at work and so it comes down to you know who has prepared the best who has been fortunate as far as uh you know covid cases who has been fortunate as far as um, opt-outs and transfers and all of those types of things. And, you know, when, when you look at, um, at the major players around the country, um, Alabama is one that really stands out. I mean, look, it, it wouldn't be shocking to me if, if Saban has just kept such a tight lid on things that, that players have opted out and we just haven't heard about it yet. Although, at a school like that, it's just so hard to believe that if anyone major had decided not to play, that it wouldn't have leaked, mm-hmm. and so I hear nothing out of Tuscaloosa, which leads me to believe that everything is going according to plan. And given that they didn't make the playoff for the first time last year, and you know what their motivation level is, the fact that we're hearing silence from them, it feels dangerous for everybody else. Um, especially when you put it up up beside, you know, all of the issues that LSU is having. Uh, Auburn, you know, was we saw reports that they had 20-something players who had, you know, who had had to miss practices, uh, COVID-related stuff. Um, uh, Georgia, with the, you know, they, they had had a season-ending injury to one of their key receivers the the quarterback opts out. You, know, you just look everywhere else at their competition, the SEC, and you see teams that are not having things go their way in the lead up to the season. And meanwhile, like I said, Nothing's coming out of Tuscaloosa. So it's possible that everything is just kind of chugging right along there.
2: When you look at Bama and uh, their motivation, it's clear. What what do you anticipate from Bama this year as far as defense, offense? I mean, they have, they have lost a lot of talent over the years, but they've also – and I don't want to say they got fat and happy. They just got – they got beat by some teams that – were more talented uh, last year and you don't say that that often either but they they just for them had a air quote down year and it's a chance to reload this year i mean you've got bama and then let's kind of look at them compared to clemson with what clemson's got coming back and then you know let's talk a little bit about notre dame because notre dame's usually doing the world tour now it's the acc tour I mean, do you have aside from Bama and Clemson, who are some of the other teams that that you're really eyeing that could either break through to the postseason or put a run together that maybe we haven't seen from them in a while?
6: Yeah, and this and this is where, you know, normally you'd look at the ACC and you'd say, well, it's just Clemson and everyone else. Notre Dame, you mentioned. I mean, they're they're an interesting team, but they play Clemson in the regular season. And you know the ACC does not have divisions for this year. so the top two, just like the big 12, top two will go to the conference championship game. And so in theory, Notre Dame, in order to be selected by the you know to play in the playoff, you would think would have to win at least one of those two games against Clemson. Yeah, preferably the second one, you know for, mm-hmm. for, for their sake to be a conference champion. But if they get swept by Clemson, unless both of them are really, really close, and Clemson just blows out everyone else in the conference, and Notre Dame doesn't lose to anyone else. I mean, that, it just it seems like they would have to beat Clemson in order to get that nod. But, um, you know, the, and this is where you get back to, okay, do the Big Ten and Pac-12 get back on the field in time to be considered? Because if they don't, okay, you would assume that, you know, Clemson, uh, whoever wins the SEC, whoever wins the Big 12, those teams are in. Then it becomes a question of, okay, second team from one of those other conferences, more than likely the SEC, or... Uh, is there an undefeated team in the American that could make a case? And, and, and that's really it. And, and if no one goes undefeated through the American, then, I mean, it, it seems certain that it's going to be a second team from one of those other leagues. And it's just a question of, okay, who's the, you know, the best-positioned second-place team um, and here's something else to think about along those lines, um, and, and I'm, Georgia is one that is kind of on the tip of my tongue as I'm answering your, your question about, you know, who else could it be to keep an eye. Now, of course, you know Georgia obviously has been a top five team for the last few years. It's not like they're coming out of nowhere or need to be you know mentioned as a dark horse or anything like that. But but because of of the things that have happened with Georgia, um, all the players that they lost from last season, like like I said, the the Injury to one of their key receivers uh, a week or two ago, the the opt-out of their starting quarterback. They've got a new offensive coordinator. I do wonder that in a year like this where there are just so many weird things that everyone has to contend with, would the selection committee, in a way that they've never done before, take into account momentum at the end of the season? Would, would they forgive a slow start, understanding all the things that are at work? And if you lose a game early, or maybe you lose two games early, but then you're really dominant down the stretch, uh, would they be more likely to judge you based on what you are at the end as opposed to the complete body of work? In some ways, that would be inconsistent with what they've done in previous seasons. But you would think if there's ever a year that you would take that approach – it would be this year because there are some teams, I mean, look, Navy, that just aren't going to be ready for the first game for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and I would imagine some of them are going to look quite different by week five, and you just you wonder is the selection committee in this particular year going to say, well, that's just too bad.
0: Brad, I want to go back to those those top two teams, the two teams that everyone really thinks is the favorites to win the, the college football playoff this year, and that's Alabama and Clemson. Now, when you look at Alabama, they're replacing Tua, who is arguably the most important player to that offense in the past decade in terms of how he shifted that offense, and we got it away from what we traditionally think of from a Saban offense. But then you also have Clemson returning Trevor Lawrence. Who do you like if that is the two teams who make it to the college football uh, playoff come January?
6: Yeah, it's hard right now not to like Clemson just because you know what they have at quarterback and and you don't know yet about Alabama, although Alabama you know more about than really any other team that's replacing its quarterback because Tua did get injured with a few games left, and so we got to see Mac Jones not only start a few games, he started four games last year. Um, but you also got to see him start against two good defensive teams. He started against both Auburn and Michigan. And outside of two huge pick sixes that he threw against Auburn, I mean, you, you, you can't pretend like those don't exist because those plays kept him out of the playoff more than likely. Um, but you take away two really bad decisions that, that he made in one of his first starts of his, of his college career he played really well against two good defensive teams in the last two games. And so I I don't think there's any reason to believe that Alabama is not going to still be very explosive offensively. I think the question is, are they going to be better defensively? And then with Clemson, my biggest question, I'm not sure this is going to be a, a big deal at the start of the season, just because of their competition, but who's going to step up at receiver and replace T Higgins and Justin Ross? Because the whole time Trevor Lawrence has been in college, He's had those two guys to throw to every game, and now he has neither of them. Um, Now, Clemson, if you look at their their recent history, for the last decade, they've had at least one future NFL receiver, if not future NFL star, out there every year. So the odds are good that there's another one waiting in the wings, but until we see who that is and who his go-to guy or guys will be, it, it is... I think it's 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 reasonable to question: Will he be as effective of a quarterback without those two to throw to? And um, you know, we'll we'll find out in the next few weeks.
2: Brad, thanks for jumping on. We'll uh, check in next week. It's always good to chat with you. And thanks for the insight.
1: You got it. Take care, guys.
2: Tim, Brad Edwards with us on Hale Varsity.
1: Chime in four oh two. 466-ESPN, or email the show, Chris, at HaleVarsity.com.
2: Just try me, try me. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. A reminder what's uh, happening uh, with your friends uh, down in the rail yard in Hale Varsity. This is pretty cool. And uh, hopefully you had a good time with the uh, Missouri-Nebraska game last Saturday at the Cube. Well, you've got uh, the uh, faux football, the throwback games going on September 12th, and things get rolling at uh, 5.30, game day at the Rail Yard with Hale Varsity. Got the Iowa game, 2014. How good was that? The one in Iowa City with the... The one with Kenny Bell making the catch in overtime. Great
0: game. Awesome game. One of the last... Games last time I enjoyed, they beat Iowa. One of, the, one of the last games I enjoyed watching. As so that football.
2: was a, a phenomenal ball game. And then you've got the uh, 2000, uh, hold on a minute, eh, not 2000, the 94 Nebraska-Colorado game. So they're 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 double decker in this thing. You get you beat Iowa and then you beat the Buffs. Yes, I can't say I remember that ninety four game off the top of my head. I went, I went with my cousin Jason, who went to Colorado at the time. We all sat him and his three buddies from from uh, Buffalo and showed up in the old Fred Flintstone Grand Pooh Bah hats. They were Buffalo hats, and it was uh, number two versus number three, but really for the number one ranking because Colorado had the miracle at Michigan with Cordell Stewart and the Hail Mary earlier in the year and that ninety four Buffs team was just loaded and Brooke Baringer in Nebraska put the smack down, but it was Coach McBride's D that was phenomenal. Twenty four to seven Nebraska did in Colorado.
0: Oh, spoilers, I was gonna go down to the Cube this weekend and watch it. Go watch it anyway.
2: <laughs> it's always fun to, to curb stomp Colorado, specifically that Buff team in ninety four. The only loss they had. So I think they finished number three in the country that year. So, right behind Nebraska, right behind Penn State. But the 94 games, your nightcap. Things get kicked off, though, 530. Iowa, Nebraska, 2014. Kenny Bell doing his work. Uh, Brandon Riley. What a comeback, man. That was outstanding. Uh, Okay, so we told you about Fleck, and we've gotten into a little bit from uh, the Big Ten's response to the lawmakers and people of high political standing around the Big Ten. So, ten political leaders from six states asking the league to reverse its decision to postpone football. And the Big Ten's response is not just dripping with smugness. It is engulfed with smugness. The response, we would not or could not agree more with the group of Midwest legislators who stated in a letter to Commissioner Warren that the Big Ten Conference is, quote, home to some of the world's leading institutions of higher learning, scientific research, and medicine. The Big Ten's Return to Competition Task Force is tapping into those resources as it prepares for a safe return to competition. The letter reflects that... that. Uh, We all want the same thing, which is for sports to continue safely. Conference will continue to work with the Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors, as it has always done, to identify opportunities to resume competition as soon as it is safe to do so. But Brad Edwards' commentary, last segment, about the college football playoff maybe not ruling out a Big Ten or Pac-12 team. If you're Oregon and you start in November, can you do enough if you're Oregon and Ohio State to be part of the conversation? I think the conference would help you out with scheduling. That's a lot to ask after a long, long layoff to presumably, if you're Ohio State... Kick it off against Michigan, follow it up with Penn State, then you get Wisconsin, then you get Iowa, and who's the fifth team you would tack on? Throw Nebraska on there. Yeah, sure. Give us, give them Nebraska.
0: Let's have Nebraska ruin Ohio State's college football
2: chances. I'd love that. <laughs> That'd be fun. I'd just, prefer, you know, prefer that it's a. It's, it's a game similar to the 2018 ball game, As opposed to 2019? <laughs> well, as opposed to the, the last several, where there's been several touchdowns. So, you know, and I like this response to Adam Rittenberg's post on Twitter, and it's in quotes here from our friends on Twitter, Husker guys, as soon as it's safe to do so. So, you know, they're saying it's unsafe when you have a thousand high school games that have already happened, and you have seventy-six Division One teams that think it's safe to play. But yeah, it's the Big Ten saying, "Well, we know what's best. We're smarter than you." That's my read into this. Stay in your lane. Let us keep Big Tenning. I don't know, man. And then you also think about this too—just where Nebraska is going to be at. And we've we've talked attrition, and I know you had a loaded news day on Friday. Uh, with Keyshawn Green transferring out, and he is off to Florida Atlantic. I'm kind of surprised that Florida Atlantic's the landing spot, just based on his talent level and skill set. I also think there's a reality where there's probably not a lot of Power Five, <laughs> Power Five scholarships open. And Willie Tiger, who's
0: down at FAU now, was the coach at Florida State whenever he was committed to Florida State. So it, there's it makes there, sense.
2: there's your connection. Absolutely,
0: it makes sense. But you, you do think. That guy's got all the talent in the world.
2: No, he does. So think of your if if you're Hymas for Nebraska and what what you came back for and that's been put on hold, you have been very selfless. I mean, you're Brandon Hymas, you could go to the NFL. You've decided to come back and anchor an offensive line, you and Farniak. Uh what what's his future look like? Christian Gaylord getting a sixth year. I mean, Gaylord's an awesome dude and was going to be a, a guy that was going to provide some depth. Still can, but no one's getting to do it right now. And then you've got Dolman and Dismuke and Boodle and Deonte Williams, Stilly and Damian Daniels. Uh, I know Daniels is a junior, but he's I mean he's redshirted. He's been around a while. I, I don't. I don't know what is next from an attrition standpoint in Nebraska. You look at the Florida kids that have departed here from the recruiting classes. Overall, you've had the majority of your attrition with Nebraska's roster. 50% of that has been from your transition class from your 2018 signing period. And, Scott Frost stood up and manned up and he stuck with his team and coached him in a bowl game, but he was trying to recruit and get ready for Auburn at the same time and it was slammed together. That's not their fault. It's just the reality of of an early signing period where you had to go see what you could get and you're going to lose guys through the cracks that were committed to the previous staff. So you've had a lot of attrition with Nebraska, you flipped the roster, and I think you've went out and, and you've probably weeded out guys that maybe weren't as committed or just didn't fit or probably weren't that talented or just I don't want to say didn't want to grind, but maybe they didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel from a depth, depth chart standpoint. But in, in the last two classes, you've had I think four or five guys leave. And that's That's okay. I mean, you're going to have some attrition Uh, if you hit 50 percent of your recruits and they contribute. That's that's a major win. That's why you need walk ons like a a Jano. Right. Or a Fultz or. Dare I say, a Tomich. I mean, some some really big time walk ons that not only played, but thrived and were all conference guys.
0: I mean, yeah, you have, what, 25 spots in a recruiting class every single year? It's, there's not 25 seniors seeing the field every single day. There's no. only 22 starting spots, and half of those guys are underclassmen or juniors. I mean, it, there's room for attrition. That's why recruiting classes are allowed to be so big. So it's, it's, it's a question of do you have faith in Scott Frost and the program that
2: he's building? I do. I think, yeah, I, I think so. They just need to be able to get on the field – and, and work out some of the kinks. And you've seen them look really good, I think, in 2018. You felt the momentum, the way the season ended, the win against Sparty, the game against Ohio State, the comeback against Iowa. But I also think you had some really big-time pillar guys that were seniors on that team that had been through hell and back with their career and their transitions. And I'm thinking of the Giffords, right? I'm thinking of uh, Mick Stoltenberg. I'm thinking of some of those guys that were fifth-year seniors that really took over leadership of the football team and and willed this team forward in 18. Well, in in 19, uh, you you had some guys that did their best, but it, it just didn't come together. You didn't have as strong a leadership, in my opinion, last year. And Coach Barnett's talked about that a lot. It's not year one, it's year two that can get you from just what's the locker room like. And now you get year three, if you get to it, where it it should be same page. But you got a number of guys. I mean, Colin Miller is a senior, Dedrick Mills, Honus, Bo Wilson. you got a bunch of dudes that man, they've been gearing up to have a special senior season and have a winning season. Because, I mean, the last winning season you had, you got to go back to 2016. Either these guys were red shirts or maybe just getting to campus. If. And that's not necessarily the case. Maybe some of these kids have not ever had a winning season here. I never thought I'd say that in my lifetime. But they're trying to get to it. They're trying to build off of some of the positives last year and for sure weed through the the negative and just be better, be better for four quarters. They just got to get that chance. And I'm hoping through this stupid pandemic, you get a shot to to go prove yourself on the field. I want to see Nebraska hook up with Ohio State this year. Everybody does, but you want to see Where they're at, are they closer to the 2018 squad that was kind of carefree and confident and it was house money? You weren't supposed to do anything to Ohio State anyway. They played their ass off, played a great game. And last year, you maybe got a little too fat and happy. Maybe you thought you were something and you got humbled. So it's totally response time. We'll get into some NFL coming up. It is opening night, Chiefs. Texans who do the donks open with We got the Titans on Monday night next week ooh could be an interesting one so a donkey party I mean I'm
0: excited for it. we got to see if the Titans offense is legit or if their little playoff run was just a fluke
2: they're gonna hand off and double tight and it'll be about an hour and a half ball game all right jock Docs on the way
1: he's in his 30s. But sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy.
2: Back with you, it's City Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for a jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center, Dr. Doug Tavis with us. Dr. Doug, what's up? Good to talk with you.
4: Well, we've got a little bit of moisture around here. That's good. And, and uh, I, I, you know, it's going to warm up later in the week. That'll be good. It's a lot of good things going on,
2: Chris. I know it's a lot of British Open weather earlier this week. You need a <laughs> turtleneck and get the old umbrella out. But oh man, it's still baseball season, and one of my favorites is Eric Hosmer. He had the hair. He always treated Royals fans to an open tab, which I thought was pretty classy. And one of the one of the upstarts this year's San Diego, and they're they're a ton of fun to watch. Where do they go? You've got Hosmer fracturing that index finger while trying the bunt. Two to six weeks is the uh, the timeline here and Dr. Doug, this was nasty here when you look at the, uh, the bunt attempt and where the finger was.
4: Yeah, well, you, you're right. It was nasty and I'm, I'm glad you're just going to ask me about, you know, the finger instead of the decision making to bunt with two strikes. But anyway, <laughs> uh, gee, you know, that that ball hit him just immediately on the tip of that finger and you know you can actually see on the video uh, how the finger you know deforms just a little bit or you know as the ball is hitting it so uh, those uh, that's just a that's just a tough injury
2: i'm not one to uh second guess the uh, the professional athlete and how many times he's squared to bunt in his life but i'm watching the video right now and he, he... Turned and squared to bunt and pulled it back and he's looking at his left hand right now and it was pretty gruesome. What's the the look here? Because he, I mean he didn't even really have the old you know fist and and thumb technique down for the bunt. It was more of a I'm kind of kind of grip it and he was crazed by the no doubt third base uh, sign to bunt anyway. So as far as treatment and healing and all that, what's what's like a worst case with this? And then what's what's normal for for healing and and to get back to it? Yeah. So, you know, the way this
4: one happened um, and uh, we've talked about this before, you know, uh, where batters will get fractures because of the ball. Uh, impacting the, the hand against the bat, and that's that's clearly what happened here. it uh, in the location that the ball hit him, it's really going to be involving that last segment of bone on the index finger. Those fractures, um, are ones that you really don't typically try to do a surgical intervention for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's sort of a smash kind of a of a thing. It, it, the bone will break apart in in a bit of a oh um, a stellate manner is the best way I can describe it. Uh, several different uh, fragments to it, um, and so you usually just let the soft tissue sleeve around the the um, the bone be the support for the bone and let that thing heal now there is asked about worst case scenario the worst case scenario is if it breaks into the joint mm-hmm. and then you end up in a situation where you you sometimes do need to do a surgical intervention and you're dealing with some you know pretty small fragments of bone around a joint and, and a lot of times that just leads um, that injury leads to a degenerative um, uh, joint right there uh, in between the, the first and second bone there on that, uh, on that finger. Now, for a lot of people, that wouldn't be a big deal, but for a guy who makes a living using a bat, that's a big problem.
2: Dr. Doug Davis is with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday, we're talking Eric Hosmer and uh, his uh, fractured index finger as he squared to bunt and got drilled with a pitch. You've got San Diego or Slam Diego, as they're known, with all the grand slams they're hitting this year. <laughs> Just four and a half back uh, of the Dodgers. And Haas has put a little heater together. He's up to near 300, eight homers, 32 RBI. We know the shortened season. So from a, from a pain threshold standpoint, Haas is, is tough. But is this one of the more painful injuries you can get on the fingers or hand as a baseball player? Well, you know,
4: anybody who's had a hand injury will tell you that they hurt like crazy. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is because, especially with a fracture, there just is no room for the bleeding to occur internally. Um, the You know, the tissue around it just doesn't have much room for that swelling to expand. And it does. I mean, it hurts really tough. So, this is going to be one of those things where, you know, they said two to six weeks him um, being out. Yeah, it could be two weeks, mm-hmm. but to be able to especially do what he's doing this season, where he's, you know, he's uh, hitting the ball, you know, uh, very consistently, he's taking the ball out, i did you say he had eight home runs, I think.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, he's he's really um, getting some power into into his game, and I think this is going to be tough for him to come back and perform at that kind of a level, even in a six-week kind of a time frame. Now he may be able to hit for average. You know, he's, he's a pretty tough guy, but um, I don't know that he's going to be able to have that power you know, for the rest of the you know, the rest of the short season. Uh.
2: What what's a fair timeline to, to to get back to normal from a grip and a power standpoint? Let alone the mental side of he didn't get a you know, he's not a guy that'll worried about getting dinged again, but. It's somewhere in the back of your mind if if another inside pitch comes.
4: Yeah, well, and it's just one of those things where, you know, some people have said that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing that there is to do in all sports. And, you know, if you've got anything flinching you, anything mm-hmm. that's altering your reaction or altering your swing, um, your performance is bound to go down. Um, so what's a fair assessment? Probably next spring.
2: Okay. No that that makes uh, a lot of sense uh Eric Hosmer is our topic his uh his trigger finger got just sniped on an inside pitch uh O2 I shouldn't say O2 but a two strike bunt attempt uh, he got drilled accidentally and We're talking injured list here between two and six weeks for Haas, and he's kind of been that heartbeat for San Diego. They had a lot of young talent. He's been a brilliant acquisition for San Diego as they've surrounded talent around him, and he's kind of their leader. Now, Dr. Doug, real quick on Haas. He can still be that guy in the clubhouse, even if he's not out on the field. He can help this young team maybe stay together versus – Scatter apart, I mean they, they everyone's going to make the playoffs. it feels like this year, but San Diego's got a shot to do more than just get in
4: yeah, and they're going to be looking for a leader like that it's been you know It's been a while since mm-hmm. they've had that, and uh, you know, Hosmer's been there um, you know I think he'll he'll continue to do it, and like you said, he may be able to come back and do some very effective hitting. I just don't think that he's going to be able to come back and do the power hitting that he's been doing. <laughs>
2: any any hampering defensively i mean i know he's a, he's a guy at first and he's a he's a he's a lefty as far as throwing the ball could this be problematic at least grip or feel
4: well you know at, at first base of course there's, there's not as much right. um, you know throwing activity um, the you know for a pitcher it would be a, yeah. a you know a very significant thing because you're always trying to spin that ball a little bit and your index finger is a big part of that you know in certain grips but uh, no I don't I I think that's less of a concern uh, you know other than you know fielding those bad hops you know you. you Again, you kind of have that little flinchy thing going on when, you, you know, when you've when you got that uh, that hand, your throwing hand, not gloved, and, you know, you've got a bad hop coming at you. It's a little hard to just stick it out.
2: Dr. Doug, thanks for the time today.
4: You back, Chris. You take care
1: miss us?
0: Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing.
1: We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HaleVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hale Varsity Radio.
2: One final time tomorrow on the show, we'll run down Blair Kirk on Kansas City Star. Get ready for the Chiefs title defense and see what... Uh, what his thoughts are for uh, maybe back to back for Kansas City as Elijah Herbel noted. Donkey fan snarls at that. Gary Barnett will be with us. Brandon Vogel, pride of Chicago, Danny Burke. he college football and NFL picks for us. Reminder about moving. 2020 may be the year you move. And West Blue Realty is there to take your phone call. They specialize in residential home sales in Lincoln and surrounding communities. They'll make the move a smooth one for you. When you mention Hale Bar City, can, they can provide you up to $1,000 upon the closing of your next home purchase. Give Tom Luby a shout at 402-540-3768 or Kelly Hofschneider. Kelly can help as well at 402-202-2312. It pays to work with West Blue, Realty.com. And uh, make an appointment. Go see him, 1120 K Street, Suite 200. They can also help you out with agricultural land sales and um, do that well also reminder about drinking and driving nearly 70 percent of people in fatal crashes in nebraska are not wearing their safety belt if used properly a seat belt can reduce the risk of fatal injury up to 60 percent your best defense in any crash buckling up brought to you by the nebraska department of highway safety office specifically if you are in a beer truck and you hit a taco stand
0: not a stand a whole store i know
2: but <laughs> it's a giant stand as a store that was, was messed up i was shocked cuz i mean it's it's 25 on that street there i know it's it's the old college view region in lincoln and you had a uh, Coors light truck collide with the taco johns taco 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 in Inn. taco in yeah my wife always like every wednesday she goes with her mom and her relatives that'd be one of the stops they'd hit the the taco the taco in
0: and whenever we're out running errands uh, as a kid, my mom took me to that taco in a lot. It's a drive-through, brother, that, with like the the steep hill. We, yeah, we'd
2: go there as uh, in high school. That's a classic, time. yeah. We'd uh, we'd shoot down Calvert and it's taco time, brother.
0: I gotta say, bu- uh, the beer colliding with the uh, the taco sounds a lot like a, an average Saturday night for me,
2: though. It, well, it's it's beer and tacos go together. They are a staple. If you are having one, it, it's just wrong to not have the other. You just don't want to. Do it that way. (laughs) So you've got me thinking beer and tacos. Uh, Uncle Andy is making his world-famous chili. So I may have to go that direction. And he will have cinnamon rolls with said said chili. I
0: was going to say, chili, cinnamon rolls, and beer.
2: Possibly. I may have to postpone workouts. They've been postponed definitely with the the wrist and shoulder issue. So Mm. that's no good. Mm. What yeah, do you man. got going tonight? Watch my Nuggets, probably lose to the Clippers. What is that thing at, three
0: zero? Uh It's 2-1. Oh, okay. 2-1, which isn't bad. And the, the Nuggets showed some life last time. But other than that, prepare some, pre- prepare some bets for the first uh, NFL Sunday, maybe. Going to get, get that locked that. in? Uh, I think so. I think this is uh, going to be a good week to bet, just because we don't know... And Vegas doesn't know either what uh, the team's going to look like coming out of this COVID training camp.
2: I want to, you know, and there's reports, too, that Mike Evans may not go. He might have a hamstring issue. I might bet against Tampa Bay week one. Oh, I think, I think New Orleans. Yeah, Tampa's, like, everyone loves Tampa, but they love Tampa after week nine to put a run together. Talk to you tomorrow. Big thanks to Brad Edwards, uh, of course, uh, Mike Babcock, and our dear friend Mike Shuhart. Talk, mar- talk to you tomorrow at four on ESPN.